On this week's episode, we take a look at a two-foot-long moth, a six-inch-tall UFO, and a massive carrier out in the ocean that may be the answer to the question, what are UFOs? This week on Strange Pathways. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I am your host, Scott Mort. I, uh, I'm i having a good week. I hope you're having a good week, too. Uh, I do apologize for the lateness of this episode. I had every intention of recording yesterday and editing everything and getting everything up. And then, as often does, life happens. I went to work on my car, which may have been the first mistake. <laughs> I, uh, I needed to change the front brakes on my car. And whenever I went out, my lovely wife Ariana was helping me. And I went out to remove the lugs. And something happened that's never happened to me before in my life. And I've worked on cars quite a bit. One of the lugs snapped off. It was, oh, it was heart wrenching. It was heart wrenching. But, Hey, you know what? I still have four lugs left to go. It's a five lug wheel, four lugs left to go. Not a problem. I get to work on the second. It snaps off as well. And it's at this point that I go, I have a problem. So thankfully, thankfully, I do have towing on my insurance. They towed my car over to my friend's garage. We got it back today. It was just, I'll be honest, I was in no mood to record yesterday. Uh, but I'm back. I got my car back. I'm happy. I'm in the mood to record today. Let's get on to the tales. When one thinks of cryptids, one thinks of creatures on the larger side. Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, the Thunderbird. But sometimes, sometimes cryptids are on the smaller side. I I got this story from, say it with me, phantomsandmonsters.com. This is going to take us all the way back to the summer of 2002, Mesa, Arizona. Now, JBC, at the time, was 20. She was still living in a rental home with her 18-year-old brother and her mother. Now, they were a transplant from Northern California. It was, it was hard to adapt to that six-month-long, scorching, dry, arid summer. One, one summer night, Late May, early June, somewhere around, around there. JBC's brother had just graduated high school. He was, he was working full time during the day. They were relaxing at night. They were talking, having a great time playing music. It was really, really a good time. At around 1030, JBC notices the front porch light had burned out. This was, this was a common experience. 
it would happen over and over and over again. Both the lights over the driveway, the three lights in their backyard, they continuously failed. It, it seemed like JBC and their family were continuously buying bulbs, expensive, those outdoor bulbs. Is that connected to what happened? JBC doesn't know. She just doesn't know. Now, the front door, I'm going to paint this picture for you. The front door of the house was set back into the house. The garage kind of stuck out. The front yard was deeper than the backyard. And they have these three beautiful velvet mesquite trees. And they also have a china berry tree. Some cactus are out there, chola cacti. There's a lot of foliage. That's that's the way I like my yard as well. Just a ton of, of growth. I've got, in my yard, I've got trees and bushes, rhododendrons, roses. It's, I, I like a yard shaggy. I like the St. Louis type yard. The street lights do very, very little to penetrate the, my property. And that's the way it was here. The street lights don't do very, very much to penetrate this this little den that they have set back. JBC turns on the lamplight to her bedroom. Bedroom's a kind word for us. It's really an office nook. It's right next to the front door. JBC opens the blinds and the light hits the wall of the garage. There was the thing. It was only about 10, maybe 12 feet at the most away from where JBC was standing. It looked like a giant headless moth. JBC calls her brother over and, and she, she looks at it and goes, what do you suppose that is? He tells her, I- I've got no idea. It must be a bat of some sort. JBC counters with, but we only have micro bats here in Arizona. And I've always heard that bats hang upside down. The brother then kind of theorizes that it's a giant moth. They- they're living out in the desert. But then she goes, moths are attracted to light. All, all the lights here are burned out. So they, they talk for a few moments. They stand next to the glass panes, right next to the front door. This thing is not moving at all. They kind of get a real good look at it. They decide this thing is maybe 18 inches, possibly two feet long from the top to the wing to bottom. There's no antenna. It's, it's very clearly there, but the creature itself is very, very dark, almost black. It's, it's hanging on the wall like an insect would, but it's really about the size of a medium sized fruit bat. And it's right there on the wall, just about five or six feet off the ground. 
their mother comes out. What are you doing? Take a look at that. She, the mother, she refuses to stand next to the door. JBC's brother says, let's, let's go have a look at it. They swing the door open and he takes a step over the door jam. But, but JBC is struck with just an absolute fear, just an absolute fear. Hello, Newton. Yes, I love you. I, we, we got a, we got a message the other day. Hey, I think it was a comment on the YouTube uh, video where it's like, hey, there's a there's some angry cats, you know, like 20 minutes in here. Yes, that was my cat, Newton, who's begging for attention right now. He's got his front paws up on my side. I'm rubbing his neck. I'm sure you heard him pawing at the screen earlier. It's there are days where it's relatively calm and then there are days that it's chaos. As I was saying before. Newton so rudely interrupted me. The brother steps over the door jam and JBC is struck with that unearthly fear. She's terrified. She can't let her brother go out there. She grabs his shoulder and will not let him go. He looks back and sees the most terrified look on JBC's face that he's ever seen. Even recounting it years later, JBC feels those shivers. He doesn't say a word. He steps back inside. They lock the doors, close the blinds, and and camp out in the living room. They don't even go into their beds. They camp out in the living room. They talk late into the night and finally get a little sleep. The next morning, they wake right at sunrise. And they decide they're going to go out to the wall with a tape measure. And they're going to measure where they think it was. There's no trace of anything. There's no residue. You know how moths sometimes leave that powder. There's no residue. Nothing. Nothing's disturbed. They, they kind of both are satisfied where, where the tape measure is and it reads out 28 inches. The mother was so terrified of this. She just walks back in the house and will not speak about it. To this day, she will not speak about it. Now, this sparked an interest in the animal, insect, and plant life in the area. JBC and her brother, they, they have studied and studied and studied. JBC's even taken an MCC course in Southwest Biology. Nothing. Nothing matches. JBC's husband said, you know, who, who was raised in, in the same general location said the only thing he can think of was that it was an owl, but this wasn't an owl. What was this? The thing that interests me is that, that fear, 
that fear, right? Was it, was it human instinct? Was it something, some sort of paralyzing fear that this thing emitted like a lion does infrasound? Whenever I was reading this, I was originally thinking Luna moth. We have Luna moths here in Pennsylvania and I've seen some doozies. Nothing. Nothing that I would consider 28 inches. Nothing almost black. So, what was it that JBC and her family saw? Our next tale is going to take us all the way back to June 30th, 1973. Suonunjoki, Central Finland. Jarmo Nikanen was 24 years old, a simple electrician. He, he woke up that June 30th around 10 a.m. And he has a plan. He wants to visit his summer cottage. That afternoon, he had a nice sauna bath, loosened up his muscles, and went for a walk through the forest to his cottage. Now, his cottage is located right on the shore of a lake. He gets there, does probably what I would do, light up a fire outdoors, warm up a bit of coffee, have a bite to eat. He listened to the radio, and he goes to sleep about two hours after midnight. Right as sleep starts to take Yarmo, he hears this, this buzzing sound. Now, the first thought in his head was that he had forgotten to turn off the radio, but then he sees that blue light. There's a blue light piercing into the cottage from the direction of the door. Yarmo gets out, walks down to the, to the jetty. And above the lake, he sees a bright blue light. This light starts to approach him and stops right above the shallowest part of the water. Yarmo, it, it hits him how big this light is. Twice as big as the rowboat that's parked at the jetty. The, the body itself, not the light, but the body itself is almost gelatinous. And Yarmo can kind of make out a being inside the craft. The next thing he remembers is he's lying on the porch of his cottage. It's 6 a.m. Yarmo goes back to bed, sleeps until noon. But that is not the end of it. These unusual events, they start again in June 1975. Fast forward ahead, 6.50 a.m., February 2nd, 1975. Yarmo finds a two and a half meter crater in the snow, about 15 feet away from his house. The snow had melted all the way to the ground in the center of the crater, and Yarmo finds this strange red liquid, a few pieces of metal, and a metallic cup. The scent of vinegar just permeated the area. The police 
actually came out, photographed the area, took samples. Just a few days later, on February 5th, the the family hears a shooting sound. The the police come come out again, and a constable says, "Hey, I saw this strange light out there." Next morning, bigger crater found in the snow. This one about 30 feet away from the house. Same stuff found again. The vinegar smell, strange red fluid, pieces of metal. The the police start to think somebody's throwing a homemade bomb at them. Fast forward again, February 21st, 1979. Three holes in the yard, red liquid, pieces of metal. No metallic cup, though, this time. Fast forward once again, March 16th, 1979. Yarmo decides he's going to take a walk around the cottage through the forest. He takes a camera, some snacks, a pair of binoculars. And after about an hour and 20 minutes, he comes to the forest eats a snack, walks around the cottage, and hears that humming sound. Yarmo turns around, and about six feet off the ground, he sees a bell-shaped UFO. Now, right now, you're thinking something massive, right? No, this is a tiny little thing. This is toy-sized. He starts taking photos of this UFO. It's radiating a blue light. It moves forward, it it dips, it raises. Yarmo ends up snapping five photos as he walks towards the UFO, and then it just ups and disappears. Yarmo continues to search the area. He's walking on this frozen lake for about half an hour, and he hears that humming sound again. This time the UFO's kind of hiding in some bushes. He walks closer to it, Keeps taking photos over and over. Climbs up a cliff. Tries to sneak around to the other side. He stumbles a bit. Accidentally takes a a photo of the trees with the camera. The UFO, this tiny little toy-like thing, shoots a red beam of light towards Yarmo's face. So bright, it blinds him for a little bit. Yarmo's scared. He hides behind a fir tree. He takes his last photo, the 12th photo. A little bit of time passes. The UFO flies further away. And suddenly there's a flash of light on top of it. Red smoke puffs out of the UFO. And a cylinder-shaped object zooms through the sky. Pieces of metal and some red liquid were left on the ground. And Yarmo, uncharacteristically, gets very, very sleepy. Upon examination, there's blood on top of Yarmo's nose. Two tiny holes that did disappear later. The police have never been able to explain these strange events. It's it's quite unlikely that Yarno and others in the area who, who were witnesses would have made up the story. The photos are available. Head over to any of our social media, our our Instagram, our Twitter, our Facebook, YouTube. 
I'll have those photos available to you, or at least one or two of them. I, I haven't been able to find the complete set of photos, but what I have found, head over to Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. It'll be there. We'll have at least one up on the YouTube video as well. It is fascinating. Right now, there is something fascinating going on on 4chan and Reddit. Um, whether this is just somebody playing a game, LARPing, or whether this is legitimate, I, I don't know. But it definitely, definitely, I find it very, very interesting. It, to me, personally, there there's some stuff there that kind of rings true. There's a couple of things in there that, even though a lot of it rings false for me, a lot of it rings very, very true. Now, I know a lot of people listening are going, Scott, it's 4chan. Nothing on 4chan is true. It's just somebody playing a game. Before before you throw that opinion down, and before we talk about what's going on, I want to tell you about Michael Skirba. Now, Michael Skirba was a 21-year-old graduate at Australia's Department of Defense. And he ended up finding some classified information relating to the Five Eyes spying program. Five Eyes is an intelligence alliance. Uh, the, the members are Canada, New Zealand, Australia, United Kingdom, and of course the United States. Michael Skirpa kind of saw himself as like the next Edward Snowden. So he takes all the information he found and uploaded it to 4chan. He even talks about how, how he admires Julian Assange. Only 14 people commented on the post. Most of them to say that it was fake. I'm using the friendlier terms there. They, 4chan is a cesspool, but I do enjoy it. I do enjoy 4chan. Right now, Skirba, he's awaiting trial in Australia's Supreme Court. The information he posted was 100% true. He falsely accessed and leaked confidential information. All for internet credit. So, whenever I see this leak, and some of it's ringing true, a lot of it could be put out there as fake. But what if it isn't? What if it's not? What if this is exactly what's happening? What if this is the answer to the UFO question? The post is as follows. I have intimate knowledge of what the U.S. currently knows about UFOs, minus the last two years. UFOs are primarily unmanned drones. 
UFOs are built to spec each time they are deployed. UFOs are created by a mobile construction facility that hides in the ocean. Construction facility destroys anything that comes close to it and will disappear for days when approached aggressively. U.S. believes the facility has been active on Earth for at least 100 years or much longer. Fire away on questions. I'll answer what I can. You won't be disappointed. And the questions came. The original poster had claimed that the reason he was coming out with all this was he was dying of liver cancer. And this was a huge deathbed confession. Some of the questions were, were fascinating. They had absolutely fascinating answers as well. Is there a working theory on the origins? And And the original poster said quite a bit. We think the facility has been around since at least 4,000 BC. We see the sightings from paintings from the early eras of history. The original poster goes on to say they are not made by a higher branch of the U.S. government. There's, there's no potential for that. That, that Bob Lazar may be right. That they looked for element 115 that, that Lazar found. Whenever these vehicles sometimes crash, not very often, but sometimes crash. The, the part, the part that really, really rang true for me. It's kind of a twofold thing. That, that these UFOs, the only time they really seem interested in us is whenever they realize we're destroying things around us. Nukes, pollution and and how many cases have we gotten in the past where where abductees are given the message you're destroying the planet it's the old charles fort we we're, the earth is a farm and we're somebody else's property and the original poster says something akin of that one of the officials in charge said something that stuck with him they act like keepers of a zoo uninterested in the daily life of the wildlife until there's a problem. This floating carrier out in the ocean, it, it, it leaves as soon as anything comes close to it or flat out destroys it. It doesn't destroy it very often, but that does happen from time to time. And the weapon, the weapon that it uses destroys everything entirely absolutely entirely these these craft built to spec if you want something to collect geological samples it builds the craft to the to the the specs that you need if you need something to to abduct some humans it builds the craft specially each time each and every time. All the, all the different types of UFOs that we've seen over the years, why do we not see the same model very often? You have styles, but we never really say, see the same thing twice because it's built 
for the mission each and every single time. I'll leave a link to all of this up on the Facebook, the Twitter. But, but, if the earth is a farm, just as Charles Fort said, then this is our caretaker. And maybe, maybe, best case scenario, the best case scenario of this is that they're watching us and helping us become equal to them so that we can join them. But I don't think that's what's going on. I think that they're here so that we don't destroy the place. So that when whatever sent them arrives, the place is clean and ready for takeover. Thank you for joining us once again on Strange Pathways. Our Twitter is Pathways Strange. TikTok and Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast. Or you can reach us over on Facebook. Check us out over there. We're going to have a lot of images from the cases this week. Head over to YouTube. Like, comment, and subscribe over there. Be sure to tell a friend, tell a family member. You know you've got somebody that would love this show. Thank you once again for joining us this week. Take care of yourselves and each other. Yeah.